0: Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we are doing an extravaganza!
1: Welcome to the episode 60 extravaganza i'm alex and my question for you dear listeners is what plants have you planted in your apocalypse garden
2: i'm freya and my question is what have you named your sourdough starter i'm macy and
0: my question is are goats plants no my actual question <laughs> is- My actual question is what is your greatest eccentric British nobleman triumph thus far in the quarantine
2: apocalypse? We are three red-headed fantasy authors.
1: And today we're having one of those fun times, listener Q&A <laughs> situations, and we're drinking some interesting things. We have cocktails because it's the apocalypse, and even though it's 10 a.m. for Freya, um, you, you only live once, right?
2: <laughs> Freya's being a good sport. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, cheers.
2: look. Freya doesn't need a whole lot of convincing to drink cocktails at every hour of the day, but you know you have to put up some <laughs> token resistance.
1: <laughs> yes, and, yes, it's only pop. I said, Freya, it's February 43rd, live a little. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. Uh, anyway,
1: so Alex, it makes me sad that that's the incorrect number. Well, I didn't bother counting. <laughs> Numbers that? are hard. Um, so what are... They're made and up. And made up, that's true. Numbers are a uh, social construct. Uh Freya, what are you drinking?
2: Well, in the light of it being before noon, I am drinking something with (laughs) orange juice in it.
0: (laughs) Which automatically makes it a brunch cocktail. Yes, this
2: automatically makes it a brunch cocktail and therefore (laughs) absolutely fine. So I'm drinking a variant on an orange blossom, which is gin, orange juice, dry vermouth, and I've added a couple of shakes of bitters. It is very nice. I'm drinking it out of one of my fancy, fancy cocktail glasses.
0: Freya is the fanciest of the three of us. Um, Meanwhile, I, a gremlin, have been informed that what I am drinking is a pale and stormy. Well, you said it was
2: ginger ale and rum and I thought it was dark and stormy, but it's the wrong rum.
0: It is the wrong rum. I have, darling listeners, my liquor cabinet, quote unquote, is honestly quite terrifying. I think it has four things in it and one of them is huckleberry flavoured. Ooh, I mean, it's delicious, but uh, I feel like Freya would judge me. And I, I am drinking
2: Huckleberry- for me I don't know. have anything Huckleberry-flavored. I mean, you could.
1: You could. Uh, I could. Um, I My liquor cabinet is also fucking terrible. I have like four things in it. Um, so I am drinking a random assortment of things from my cupboards, all poured into a very large jar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alex is representing the Northeast. Yes. Yes. Um, So I had some uh, Jamaican ginger beer, which I poured into the jar, um, (laughs) and I had some... Ginger beer is not actually alcoholic. Uh, It's just like spicy ginger ale. It's like cider. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) And some gin and some orgeat syrup, which is this delicious almond syrup, Mm -hmm. and... Some Stroopwafel liquor, which is sort of caramel flavored, and it tastes like alcoholic cream soda, and it's a good time. Uh, Also, just in case this cocktail goes wrong, I do have a backup cocktail prepared in the wings, uh, which is going to be a bottle of hard cider and some pims, and probably more of the Stroopwafel liquor, let's be honest, it's delicious. There is,
2: there is a hitherto unrecognized hole in my heart and my liquor cabinet the size of Stroopwafel liquor, which sounds amazing and it's I really want some. very
1: good. It's just sugar. It's I, just 1000% sugar. I have had way too many
0: college experiences with Baileys to find that in any way attractive
1: yeah well you don't drink it straight unless you're me and then you drink it straight <laughs> Alex, you just
0: said you were going to mix hard cider with pims let's please move on before i do some damage to something
1: <laughs> i thought it might i thought it might taste good we're gonna see what happens <laughs> um so let's move on to the next section of this very um literary merit podcast which is what are we reading fellow serpents
2: All right. I have read, as usual, quite a lot of things, more things, because I now am stuck in my house for large portions of the week. But I will call out Swordheart by T. Kingfisher,
0: Mm.
2: which is an absolutely delightful novel about a grumpy mid-30s widow who has to go on a road trip with a sword that is also a barbarian warrior (laughs) and a non-binary priest and they have to go and, like, help her come into her inheritance, and there's a lot of random magical adventures. It is extremely funny, and it's been a long time since I read a funny fantasy novel, and this one was extremely funny, fun world-building, really nice romance plot at the heart of it. Thoroughly recommend it as some good escapist reading. Then I turned around and read The Winter Prince by Elizabeth Wine of Codename Verity fame. This is that book, isn't it? This is that book. <laughs> this is. This was not what I was aware of wanting, but definitely wanted. An extremely fucked up Arthurian retelling about Mordred and the son of. the legitimate son of King Arthur uh, being half brothers who are obsessed with each other. And that's basically it. It's extremely. Yeah, it's a very different tonally speaking from Swordheart. <laughs> very dark, very Arthurian. Marketed as YA? Question mark Not YA. <laughs> Definitely not YA. <sighs> uh, but if you're into some like semi incestuous, fucked up obsession Same. romance stuff, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, and I also just finished The City We Became, the new book oh, by N.K. Jemisin, nice. which. Is based on, or like uses as the prologue, the short story, mm-hmm. The City Born Great, which we discussed in our Cities as Character yes. episode. And this explodes that into an entire novel. I love it. I'm really happy that I went to New York recently mm-hmm. because it's so embedded in New York mm. City as character, like quite literally. The, the five point of view characters are the five boroughs of New York. Mm. And it is Absolutely amazing, as is everything that N.K. Jemisin writes, and I'm already looking forward to not only rereading this one, but also seeing where she takes this as a series about cities.
0: Wonderful. I'm just grumpy because my copy came into my local bookshop at 3pm on the first day of permanent lockdown. And it is now one and a half blocks away from me, and there it will
2: stay. Indefinitely. I had to to create a $75 book order to get free shipping so that my (laughs) local indie would get me the city we became to my doorstep (laughs) that was how much i wanted to read you had
0: to you're had to (laughs) my copy is signed
2: because i pre-ordered from the special
0: event and i'm just like it's fine Mm. everything is fine so distracting from the fact that we are all deeply envious of freya who is the only one who has this book i think Mm. i have been reading foundry side by robert jackson bennett and it is a book with a super cool magic system that actually reminded me a lot of the Brandon Sanderson novella that we read, the one with the uh, forging of souls. The um, embers. Soul. Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, my one critique with this book is it really rather felt, lol, my plot is pasted on. Mm. Like the plot was street rat gremlin acquires boondoggle what everybody wants and then people try to get it. Yeah. Um which made me a little bit disappointed because I've really loved Robert Jackson Bennett's plots uh in his Cities trilogy but the magic building in this one really is the star of the show rather than the story per se which I guess is yep. just a different way of doing a book. It was fun. Yep.
1: Cool. Um I have also read some fun books. Uh I read my advanced copy of Hero the Ninth uh last week what? which was incredible. It's Second books, as someone who has written a sequel, I know how hard second books are to write, especially when your first book is so vibrant and so characteristic of itself. And so this is the sequel to Gideon the Ninth, which, of course, everyone went absolutely crazy over for good reason. Um, And so you kind of go into this one saying and Mira, are you going to be able to pull this off a second time and I can confidently tell you yes she can yes she fucking can this book is great um, it has more of everything you like it's a little bit different of course because Harrow is a different character than Gideon is but mm-hmm. it has more of the memes it was absolutely it was absolutely hilarious um, I was thrilled and delighted with how the plot went uh, pre-order this book it's fantastic um I've been reading more fanfic obviously yep. untamed and scum villain and you know mostly untamed and scum villain um and then I just started a Netflix series called The English Game which is about English football oh, wow. in like 1884 <laughs> and how the game of football changed from like a gentleman's game to like a more working class game or more like accessible to the masses. It's actually kind of cool, and it has hmm. some interesting, compelling characters. Yeah, so I'm enjoying it. Hmm. Um, and we also have a piece of news. Who would like news. to volunteer to be the news person, the news snick I volunteer. Yay! Okay, oh, I
2: was about to volunteer Macy, but Macy is making fingers at me. I feel like you have a good news reader voice, Macy.
0: I mean, I can I can read a news reader version of it if you'd like, and then.
2: Oh, that's okay. Do you
1: just want me to do it?
2: (laughs) No, that's fine. (laughs) I will do it. Darling (laughs) listeners.
1: Darling listeners.
2: We have once again been (laughs) nominated (laughs) for a Hugo Award for Best Fan Cast. Yay. Thank you so much much to everyone of our listeners who nominated us. We are extremely thrilled about this. We are looking forward to all sitting online as we are right now during the live streaming of the (laughs) Hugo Ceremony possibly drinking possibly wearing funny hats
0: i must yeah. admit i might be in a swamp
1: you might be in a swamp where are you going to a swamp
0: shannon has one apparently oh, oh okay, are you cool. possibly
1: going to shannon's swamp possibly um but she said that's
0: that there cool. would not be snapping turtles so i'm a little bit disappointed that uh, sounds
2: like something shannon would say if there were going to be snapping turtles you're
0: not wrong but there might be swans and that's nearly as good because they basically have the same effect
2: i mean well i'm thinking of i was gonna say i am thinking of hosting the uh a local hugo oh, very party nice. because there are a couple of other people in my city who are also on the ballot so we might get together we will find if out. we are allowed to group in houses at that time
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> darling listeners your serpents are exceedingly curious about social distancing hugos
1: <laughs> yes they are yes. going to send us our rockets by post so I have a, a issue to bring up about the Hugo nomination, which is that Ness from strange Horizons asked us what we were going to be wearing to the Hugo ceremony, the digital oh Hugo no. ceremony. Oh and no. I said that we were going to be wearing snack pajamas and I promptly went out and found a snack onesie least two snacks on that onesie Dar- yeah so like the head is a snack and then each of the sleeves is also a snack because of course <laughs> snacks don't have arms. <laughs>
0: with little hand things so that you can make the snack mouth open it's and... like
1: puppets it's like snack puppets on the end of your hands <laughs> anyway darling listeners I need you to support me in my campaign because my fellow snacks are being very commonwealth and dignified and having like personal dignity and are refusing to take part in the snack onesie I am not refusing I have a very simple demand Alexander. you said you said if Freya does it I'll do it which yep. is the same thing as resisting <laughs>
2: Good fucking luck, my darlings. <laughs> <laughs> Darling we- listeners, I need you to join me on my campaign. <laughs> genuinely, genuinely, if you get Freya
0: into one, I genuinely will wear it. No. Even if I'm in a swamp with Sean and Elsa.
1: Here's the thing, I don't need either of you to join me. I will wear it by myself because I have no personal dignity. <sighs> <laughs> Shall we move on? let have an episode. Yes. Let's have an episode. With- yes. <laughs> Oh, the first ah. question is mine. That's nice. So Cos Lions on Tumblr asks us, what is your favorite nonfiction book?
2: <laughs> Macy, as the dedicated nonfiction snack of the podcast, oh, would you like to mind. go first? So
1: Macy did not write any
0: dot points down because Macy was arrogant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Macy is going to stop talking in third person now because this is getting exhausting. Um, let's see. Is it? Is it? Yes. It's, I'm not posh enough. So we can go into the I yorkshire did- accent for a little bit if you want so okay. i'm going to recommend a few things but the first one i'm going to recommend is probably the most accessible uh and that's one of my favorite non-fictions of all time which
2: is
0: fuck i've forgotten my own name I can't actually think and fake an accent at the same time. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I was just about to ask for a write-in petition for Macy to do a Yorkshire accent at all times on the podcast. I can try. I can try. I'll try. I'll give it a wee bit of a shot throughout this one. Um, I think we prefer you to think, Macy. That's fair.
0: Um, So I really love Deep Survival which is a book about people who get into life and death situations like falling off a cliff or being on a mountain. Um, And some of them survive and some of them don't. And how do they survive? being on a mountain. mountain.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a very good book.
0: (laughs) My plague brain is not doing any of it justice. Um, Another one that I really love is if you want a chonky book, a one might go so far as to say thick book, I really recommend... That's spelled see- with two C's. It's spelled with, of course, two C's and a K because we're classy with a K. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I recommend Seeing Like a State by James Scott, uh, which has a really interesting viewpoint on how civilizations measure and control their citizenry in utopian goals. And so those are my two favorite nonfiction's. fictions.
2: I had to go downstairs and actually look at my nonfiction shelf in order to answer this, because I do not read a lot of nonfiction. But I would like to nominate for my favourites the book Watching the English by Kate Fox, yes. which is an anthropological study of modern English culture written by an American who lived in England for a long time. If you would like to understand certain aspects of Macy and also me, but for me, it was reading this, I suddenly understood my mother,
0: yep.
2: <laughs> who is very English. This is a very fun, but also approached in a very anthropological sense. It's fucking hilarious. It's very, very funny. Uh, It's probably a little bit out of date now, but it's still a really good read and explains quite a lot of things about what it's like to exist within English culture, not as an English person, but also a lot of things that English people will take absolutely for granted about the way that they conduct their life. So (laughs) I highly recommend that. It's by... Kate Fox, if I didn't say. Uh, But also Oliver Sacks' books, which were one of the reasons why I went to medical school. Mm, So Oliver Sacks is a neurologist who wrote a series of books. I think the most famous one is The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, Mm. which are anecdotes and case studies from his time working in neurology, uh, which are about essentially people who have particular types of brain damage or have had strokes to particular areas of their brains and watch the loss of particular functions or abilities can then tell us about how the brain works. It's a really interesting, very approachable style of writing and those books meant a lot to me for quite a lot of time. so I recommend those. Nice.
1: Uh, My favourites are Salt, A World History by Mark Kurlansky, which is exactly what it says on the tin. A world history of salt um <laughs> going back I think like ten thousand years b c or something insane like that um about how like the Chinese were the first to drill salt water mines and uh to harvest salt and um the various effects that the pursuit of salt has led to techno or uh, technological developments and so forth um uh, it's fascinating and highly recommend it uh Another big favorite of mine is The Storytelling Animal, How Stories Make Us Human by Jonathan Gottschall, which is also exactly what it says on the tin. Kind of nonfiction books do that a lot. They kind of just like say what they are. I appreciate that about them. And so Jonathan Gottschall has this book about the sort of evolutionary purpose of stories, which is also fascinating. And then my third rec is Consider the Fork by B. Wilson, which is a history of eating utensils. Hmm and how the eating utensils we have used have been shaped by our environment and then how they influenced and shaped our culture in turn and also in some cases our actual physical bodies so Hmm. fascinating stuff yeah cool
2: so the next question this is from at on twitter if a young person wanted your recommendations on where to start with getting into fantasy or sci-fi what would you recommend
1: well Terry Pratchett is always a perpetual wreck for me. Um depending on what is meant by young person, whether that is like a twelve year old or a seventeen year old, right. um, I'm gonna recommend different parts of Discworld. Um, So a younger person, I would probably recommend the Tiffany Aching books. For a slightly older person, I would uh, figure out what their other interests are and then recommend them a Discworld book that is close to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So someone who's very into sports, I would probably give them Unseen Academicals, for example.
0: I think that's kind of the whole question here is I cannot give blanket recommendations ever because it's really about the interests of the person. But if this is just Mm -hmm. a person who's kind of open to the idea, they don't particularly have to be persuaded One of my favourite, like, younger reader entry books um, is the Artemis Fowl books. Which are really great for, like, the sort of, like, 12-year-old sort of age Mm -hmm. range. They are adventures, they're fast-paced, they're interesting, all about this uh, criminal genius who gets on the wrong side of fairyland, maybe on purpose, and they are Mm -hmm. super fun and fast-paced, and I love them.
2: Hmm. I think I would also go for something that can be fairly easily tailored to the specific interests and age of the young person, which is all of Diana Wynne-Jones. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, agree. <laughs> because
2: you can pick out whatever you think would be most of interest to the particular young person, mm. but I think there's something very universal and relatable about all of Diana wynne Jones's books. Like, the children in them act like real children. Mm. The adults in them act as occasionally slightly caricatures. Yeah, slightly caricatured versions of adults that they may have met in their life. And the magic is either... There's a a wide range of whether the magic is completely integral to the plot and the world or whether it's something that just gets Mm. sort of sprinkled on as an afterthought. So I think I would, yeah, ask a few questions and then recommend a Diana Wynne-Jones book or two.
0: Mm -hmm. Nice. And our next question is from Jason Kimball, who asks... Are there certain types of fiction that you think lend themselves to fanfic better than others? And why?
2: I actually saw a graph on yeah. Tumblr about this recently. Yes, which says that, one. That, there is a, that one! There is a fanfic sweet spot when it comes to a. the quality of the source material. A. And if something is too terrible or too bad then you're just not interested. Like, if there's no character that you can hook into, if there's nothing about the world building that you find interesting, then there's just no creative drive. Yep. If it is too good, then there is nothing for you to fix. Mm, yeah. You just want to exist with the source material. But somewhere in between is the fan fiction sweet spot. There are some really good character dynamics. There's maybe some really cool world building stuff, mm-hmm. but you're not that into the plot, or there are some <laughs> gaps in the plot. That you think could do with exploring and that is this that is where fanfiction lives and i think that is why stargate atlantis was an enormous fandom
1: yeah yeah no i would agree and i think that the key word that i was thinking of when i was reading this question was the gap um like there has to be some kind of blank space for you to fill in whether that is like character dynamics or or fixing the plot or Ignoring parts of the plot and substituting your own plot. Um, yeah, just something to, something to give you a space to sort of cozy your way into and an exist in. And if you know that, then as a writer, you can build those gaps in. <laughs> I am going to strenuously deg- disagree with both of you.
0: Wonderful. Okay. And it. I am going to claim that fandom engagement is like fluid dynamics. I uh, hate this. <laughs> <laughs> we hate it. Continue. <laughs> and laminar flow, if either of you are aware of that term. Um, I try not to be aware of that term, actually. <laughs> so, okay. Have you ever turned on a tap in the bathroom or spent a while like looking at a stream and noticed how the water kind of bounces off it- itself? Yeah. And how you turn it on, you turn it on, and then after a certain amount of time, it gets this perfect flow. Yeah. And you can't really predict when that's going to happen. So... I think there are a lot of um, factors that come together to make a fandom engaging and widespread and picked up and it's laminar flow is one of the simplest examples of chaos theory which is that there are some systems where a microscopically tiny change in the input can create wildly divergent outputs it's the butterfly Mm. flaps its wings in India right yeah um and My example here is Yuri on Ice. Now, Yuri on Ice is a lovely 12-piece canon that does some really smart things. It's like a genuinely good piece of canon, right? Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. reasonably complete. It has complex characters who have interesting relationship arcs. It has a small gap in that, for various reasons, it cannot actually explicitly show the relationship. But, like, all in all, it's pretty complete. There's not much to fix there. Yeah. Unlike, say... Harry Potter, or Stargate Atlantis, or... And I mean, The Untamed is kind of a little bit similar, right? Like, they couldn't quite put it on the page. Yeah. So The Untamed has plenty of gaps in it. It does have plenty of gaps. But, like, Yuri and Ice doesn't, but it was huge, because yeah. it hit at precisely the right time and to the right group of people who spread it widely. Um, mm. And I think that while the content of the canon has a large impact on what gets picked up it's not the only factor there's a huge amount of chaotic who likes it are they popular are they well connected did someone write a fic that made other people see potential for writing fics
2: Mm -hmm. Hmm. i mean from a personal perspective the fandom that i probably recently have spent the most time in and written the most in was captive prince Mm. And I would not describe Captive Prince as a bad canon. Like, I really, really enjoy the books. For me, that was very specifically about I really like this relationship mm-hmm. and these characters, and I'm just going to write 17 million versions of yeah. those, <laughs> that relationship between those characters, which is also a very valid way to do fanfiction.
0: Absolutely. And I think that the ways that I engage with Uprooted is quite similar. There's, like, one aspect of the book that pisses me off, and so I engage directly with the canon. But I think that mm-hmm. a lot of, even when we engage us serpents with a fandom, a lot of the times we're up engaging with the fandom before we engage with the canon. Um, so yeah. The Untamed is kind of an example. We have this this group chat and I don't think any of us would have written or read nearly as much fic if we didn't have that fandom environment.
1: Yes, True. I agree.
2: But going back to this, the question itself, I think that if you're talking about certain types of fiction that lend themselves to fanfic, I think speculative fiction, science fiction Mm. and fantasy lend themselves specifically well to fanfic and that's because of the world building. Mm. Because it gives you something that is not of our world to play with. I cannot think of many actual romance novels (laughs) that lend themselves to fanfic, partially because most of them, like obviously you have science fiction and fantasy romance, but a lot of them are set in our world, either historically or now. But also because Romance novels, by their very nature, hit the same emotional satisfaction beats mm, yes. that a lot of people look for in fan fiction. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yep. They're feeding the hunger already. Yes. And so mm. fanfic does not need to feed the hunger. Yep. Yeah. Uh, next question. Yes. So Dave Ring asks us What are your most secret, sordid ships that you would never normally share <laughs> on a recorded <laughs> podcast? And small disclaimer. We're not actually going to share you our most no. sorted shows because <laughs> no. we have, like, personal boundaries and we try to be vaguely professional on this show. Yeah. But we'll give you, like, moderately sorted, sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> like, way too the... many of my day job colleagues have, have found and listened to this podcast at various yes. points. Yes. Pour one out for my poor ex-manager who found us on the OT3 episode and then tried to have a conversation with me about it.
1: Oh no oh, thank you oh, oh
0: dear Um, <laughs> uh, poor dude um but sordid ships okay so let's talk about rpf and why we don't talk about rpf for a second oh yes let's because one of my ships that i was in for a while that i really enjoyed a lot of the fic for was gerard way and frankie arrow of my chemical romance Um, And I enjoyed them for a lot of reasons. There was a lot of great talent in that fandom. Um, Some amazing stories were written. And I really liked the starting up a band aspect, the like creative energy that those characters had in a lot of those fics. Yeah. But we don't talk about RPF that much on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, at least the way I think about it is... um, We are very carefully straddling two worlds with this podcast. Um, And one of the characteristics of RPF fandom is that a lot of the authors don't want attention on their work from outside the community who won't have the context. Yes. Um, So I think, for me at least... I tend to not name exactly the fic I'm talking about, and we tend not to tentpole it, not because there's not amazing work there, because there is amazing work in many RPF fandoms. Do you want to say what RPF means? RPF means real person fiction. So this is pieces of fiction that look at actors or musicians or sometimes like radio hosts and slash them. Generally, it's shipping fic. Um, Yeah. And that can make those humans uncomfortable.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. So it's like a deliberate ethical choice that we have had conversations Mm -hmm. about on several different occasions. And it's something that we occasionally um, revisit. Mm -hmm. And it's always a a conversation that we're very, very careful about because context is so important. And it's something that people outside of the community and even a lot of people within the community Mm -hmm. have complicated feelings about. And the safest, the ethically safest place is for us to just, like, leave it by itself and not bring outside
2: attention onto it too much.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Freya? Okay. So I'm thinking about my moderately sorted ships. Um, so the first one that sprung to mind with, when I read this question was Thor Loki. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is a fairly popular ship, let's be honest. It's not yep. like it's a niche sorted Asked ship. ships it. Asla (laughs) Asla has written it, Um, but I think for me it kind of led into the idea of incest or quasi-incest as a thing that is a genre of ships Mm. in various fandoms, Mm. and I think for me I can say that I really like Thor-Loki as a ship, and I'm thinking of other ships that I have enjoyed like, okay, going way more niche, um, Leto ganima in dune Phantom. <laughs> oh my so, god <laughs> <laughs> so later <laughs> so, so again are the twin children of the main character of dune mm-hmm. uh, and i think for me what i will admit to on the podcast is that there is something quite interesting about adult siblings or half siblings and especially twins where there is something particularly odd about the context in which they have grown up or Mm. what is expected of them uh, that has led them to be a particularly intense relationship. Mm -hmm. And so some of the, some of the ships that I will read, there aren't really many that I have read that, sorry that I have written, Mm. but there are certainly quite a lot of ships that I will read that has fallen into this particular category.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that gets explored, right? Like that's a fairly popular Area in fandom,
1: like the oh, absolutely, fandom. and like it's I can I could
2: probably name about three published novels, which of which <laughs> well, two right. have won the Booker Prize, which feature sibling incest.
1: Under the pen like it's a thing
2: that people yeah. like to dig into,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's not just a fandom thing, right?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm thinking about my moderately sorted ships, and I've already admitted to them on the podcast, so because <laughs> I have no dignity, um. Like I mentioned that I was reading Scum Villain uh a while sorted? ago, it's pretty sordid. Is it? It it's I mean the Scum Villain fan fiction, It's pretty sordid, babe. It's just student teacher, right? But I there's like- also some Dubcon aspects that's as well. Fair.
2: Yeah, that's true. I think like for any like a ship in and of itself does mm, not necessarily right. have to have that. It can be about to what extent a particular fan work chooses to lean in to the dynamics of that ship that yes. might make it more or less acceptable
0: right so like you could look at whether kylo ren and anyone uh but ray specifically (laughs) like whether that is a sordid ship because by their like demographics it isn't at all but by the way that canon has built their relationship it's kind of fraught at least in the first two
1: movies Mm. And also sordidness is going to be in both the eye of the beholder mm-hmm. and also, as you've already mentioned, the eye of the person writing the fic.
2: Right. Yeah, like there's a certain yeah. amount of subjective judgment mm-hmm. attached to that word.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think yeah. for me, how I interpreted it was like, what would you be kind of reluctant to talk about with someone who you didn't already know was like deep in fandom?
1: ABO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: no- <laughs> not a shit, but uh, um, we will not talk about the time I outed one of my Viable Paradise classmates um, in front of the Nielsen Haydens and then ran away and made her explain ABO to
1: oh, them. Oh, no, babe. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Oh,
2: let's move on with the podcast, shall we? <laughs> okay. I? All right. So our next question is from Hilary B. Bisseniak's. And it is, if you could read one fic again for the first <gasps> time, what would it be?
1: Dangerous if Unbound by Astalat. <laughs> it is, and why? It is the perfect fic, right, Alex? Well, it's the perfect fic. It was a fic that was written specifically more for me, specifically. Astalat has no idea who I am, but she wrote this fic for me specifically. <laughs> uh, it is the prophesized fic. It is the one true fic. Um, it's a person of interest fic that. Ha- bases its, its world building is very sexy world building and it bases its sexy world building on fealty which is absolutely my shit what else needs to be said really oh, that's fair, that's fair. Uh,
0: whereas I think I would probably reread uh, Chick's fic freedom's just another word for nothing left mm. to lose which we covered in our character death episode and yep. good shit because it just has this kind of breathtaking impact As a fic, and it still has that impact on me, even though I've read it at least a half dozen times, but there's something about not knowing the way that the author is going to rip your heart out and show it to you in advance. You know? Yes, yes,
2: yes. And I will be honest here that I think actually the fic that came to mind first was actually an RPF fic, which I'm not going to talk about. Um, But instead, I'm going to say House Proud, also by Astalash. Which we talked about in our magical houses yes, uh, episode. We and talked about Dangerous
1: is... of unbound too, now that I think about yeah. it. We've yeah, talked we about did. All, all
2: of these have been all of these have been tent poles for good reason. Because yep. we put yep. our favourite
1: fics as tent poles. We do. That's just makes we sense. We do. What so House about.
2: Proud is yes, a Harry Draco fic about magical houses. Yeah. And I think I would like to reread it again for the first time because exactly as Alex said, for that sense of oh This person doesn't know me, but they have written this specifically and exclusively for me. (laughs) (laughs) For me,
0: yes. Man, now I'm like, which astolat fic am I?
2: <laughs> we'll have to discover that later. The new taxonomy. The
0: new taxonomy. <laughs> Darling listeners, please do write to us on Tumblr, Twitter, and by Pigeon um,
1: and tell us which Astalat fic you are. Um, anyway, audience participation. Participation. Uh, we uh, <laughs> are interactive.
0: Ba- your serpents are not just house proud, we are house bound. Please entertain us. A um, L- little bit yes. tipsy now. Next question, also by Hillary, because Hilary is on fire. I Hillary hope, asks good questions. I hope Hillary is not actually on fire. Please find some water. Um, what are some unexpected joys of
2: doing an podcast? I will say that I have become both more aware of how I speak, especially when I am speaking in public or speaking for an audience, but also less self-conscious about it. Hmm. So I will look at the transcripts and say, "Wow, how many times this episode can Freya say the words?" Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> the answer is always a lot, many, <laughs> many, many times. times. Speaking as your think, audio
1: editor, many times.
2: <laughs> then I think, do I actually care that much nope. about my verbal tics or the way I speak? And the answer is no, because nope. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't really care about the you know minutia that the other people are probably self conscious about. And so this has made me both happier to speak in public and express my opinions loudly. And I was good. already very good at that. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> But yep. we like
2: your opinions and we encourage you to express them. Yes. And it's allowed me to let go of a certain amount of self-consciousness mm. about how I sound when I am doing that expressing, which has been really joyful.
1: Good. good. One of the, the, I mean, this is not really an unexpected joy. I kind of knew this going in, that it was going to be great, which is the great joy of tricking two very smart people <laughs> into talking to me on a fortnightly basis.
0: We talk to you it's a true. lot more than fortnightly, Alex. No, I know, yeah, but, but you get on a video but, call. But the blood every contract that we oh
2: signed, God. Macy, means we have to talk, <laughs> at least on a fortnightly <laughs> I don't basis.
0: I
1: have any blood to spare, Alex. I'm very <laughs> pale. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, it's just really great to talk to you guys because like, and I was having this conversation in the discord the other day. And I think a lot of people thought that I was being self-deprecating um, because I was like, Oh yeah. Like it's so great to talk to two to people who are smarter than I am. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm extremely smart. It's a huge accomplishment for you two to be smarter than I am. I hope you know that, know that, and that you're proud of it because you should be. Um, but just like, it's, it's really cool to, to, Talk are to people okay, who Macy? have smart decisions. And Macy, are you okay? And am, am I saying <laughs> too many nice things about And you? I can't
2: leave. <laughs> See, I have finished my cocktail, so my sincerity tolerance is gone. Like,
1: Whoo. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to open, I didn't realize that this uh, bottle of cider is oh, not a twist cap. Darling so I'm trying to oh, open. I didn't realize
2: that your, that your second cocktail was actually like on site.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't put it together yet. I just have the things in case I needed it. And I finished my first one a little bit fast. Uh, anyway, this is not a twist cap, so I'm attempting to open it with a pen knife. Um, I'm try, if Alex expires of bottle cap-ness. <laughs> I'm going to try real hard not to cut off any fingers oh, here. Oh, God. Anyway, Macy, what's so great about having a podcast for you? Oh, showing me trash. <laughs> showing me bits of trash. Wonderful. Love it. <laughs> I, I, I put
0: you. in the bullet points that it would be a surprise. Um, <laughs> a <good> surprise. <laughs> I don't Thank know you. why it was a surprise because
1: Alex should really have expected that the second that I put in the dot points that I it was going should, to be a surprise. I should have. Macy I've recently made a decision about the trash, which I will share with you on air now, which is that I think that it's really sweet of you to always be giving me presents and I'm going to be cherishing them for, forever. And okay. so every time you hand me a piece of trash, I will be putting it in a dedicated box. <laughs> <laughs> um, and keeping it because this is a, a moment of of my my darlingest snick wife um so Alex is going gifts. to troll me
0: with sincerity in hopes I that this just will <laughs> disincentivize me <laughs> the, from giving the, them the trash. best
1: <laughs> the best defense is a good offense yeah. but
0: like my actual answer to this question um is I think that particularly designing episode topics and picking tentpoles for them has taught me a lot about how to put together panels and like good meta in general. Mm. And I feel like this is a skill that I've definitely felt on panels at conventions, like this has taught me so many things and it's also a space where we can try stuff and have it not work and that's okay because we know each other and we can kind of cover for each other and make it work anyway
1: yeah yeah also I just think that we've gotten a lot better at it over the so. two years I mean I I think we have uh, I went back and I listened to probably like five or six of our early episodes and you can definitely sort of see the patterns of us learning how to talk to each other and sort of nailing down what mm. the dynamic was going to be in our first episode I was the one asking all the questions. And these days, it's mostly Macy asking yes. the yes. questions. <laughs> I'm bossy. Yeah. And that was just like a weird thing to look back on because I was like, oh, that was not how that ended up being. So, kind of yeah, fun. it's neat. It's cool. It is kind of fun and cool. Yeah. Um, oh, next question is mine. That's mm-hmm. why, we why we're, we're waiting for on you. It. Right. I'm sorry I was getting distracted with We're this we'll... bottle which I can't open The, the, uh,
0: the uh, Commonwealth Serpents are both entirely to guest culture to tell you that you're meant to be saying something
1: uh, Sorry <laughs> I can edit that out later uh, I'm not going to uh, <laughs> Hunt for Achievements on Tumblr asked for the extravaganza dearest serpents congratulations oh, no. you are all now cultivators <laughs> in the world of the untamed <laughs> <laughs> what sect would you most like to be members of and why? I would like
0: to be a member of the Jin sect because A, cash dollar, B, I will seduce Mean Mian.
1: Yeah, nice. I mean, that's valid. Like,
0: I don't know what to tell you. That's where I I'm feel,
1: at. I feel like Mean Mean is one of the more seducible characters in the show right? because everybody else is extremely gay. Nobody I values mean, her. Nobody and I'm just like, her. I will value you. Yeah, hmm. yeah,
2: you're valid. <laughs> Very good. See, p- part of me thinks I would be suited to the land because I quite like following rules and being the best at things you but, also, but also no alcohol That's cute. So, so I think yes. I would probably also if it was up to me to choose also go with the gin because they seem like they have their head screwed on straight in one area <laughs> which is Food, drink, <laughs> luxuries. <Yeah. laughs> I right. don't look very good in yellow. I would have to sort of get over that, the whole yellow and gold thing. But from a lifestyle perspective, gin all the way.
0: You wouldn't yeah. look into the Lanling Wen?
2: Maybe, if they were slightly less evil. Because you could seduce
0: Wen Qing. You
2: could seduce could. Wen Qing. Well, the problem with this is that I am Wen Qing. That's fair. Mm. And that yeah, would feel I feel like Wen Qing end. would so, be yes. into that. Okay, so if we're sort of divorcing ourselves from the whole <laughs> <laughs> possibly. Yeah. If we're divorcing ourselves from the actual plot, oh, yes. then yes, the Lenling Wen with their like doctor specialty and their amazing red robes yes. is
1: it the also Ling a Wen? possibility. Is it's it... the Chengling Wen, isn't it? Oh, it... Ling Lin Jin is. Lanling is oh, yeah, Jiang. Right. yeah. Yeah. Yi Ling.
0: It's the Yiling Wen who are
1: when Cheng is
0: specific oh. sub branch. Yeah. yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah you're because you're right. Yiling right. Laozu. Right, so I, for my choice, made a very careful balance between which one has the best climate mm. and the best aesthetic, mm. and which robes are going to look nicest on me, and also which one isn't going to be full of annoying people with a lot of rules, mm. uh, and so I have landed on the Jang sect. I
0: feel like I they submit. would be very like, Caribbean,
1: you know? Well, I grew up in Florida, so I'd be kind of used to that. They
2: are the the Florida sect. It's (laughs) like, here we make our own alcohol. We live in a pleasant swamp. We're going to punch an alligator.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They would punch, (laughs) Jiang Cheng would punch so many alligators. (laughs) Jiang
2: Cheng is just Florida man, let's (laughs) be honest here. (laughs) But it's true that the purple robes are the prettiest of all the robes.
1: They are, they are.
2: Okay, Mm. All right. Next question. Felicia asked, if you could add any class to the Hogwarts curriculum, what would you choose? Also, what kind of fabulous witchy hat would you wear if you taught said class?
1: So obviously my answer is going to be literature and rhetoric, Mm. because, uh, and I think when we were writing this down, Freya made an an amazing point that they need to have more skills than just like shooting magic at things (laughs) to solve their problems. Pew pew, motherfucker. I just need to get all of the Slytherins into a classroom to talk to them about how they're going to be politicians one day and Mm -hmm. so here's how they like use rhetoric effectively and like use their skills properly and also critical thinking skills which is what literature teaches us so that not everyone can be like oh yes let's make stereotypes about the houses.
0: Whereas and I will read darling listeners this to you directly um While Alex disappears off camera.
1: (laughs) I'm making my cocktail. (laughs) To attempt to remove the
0: lid from their cider. No, I did that. I did that already. Okay. I did
1: that already several minutes ago.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Macy's answer to what class would you add is morality, you fuckers. Get some ethics. Geez, slavery bad.
2: All in caps.
0: All in caps, yes. And I would do this wearing... I don't even know if I'd wear a hat, but I'd wear some really strict glasses, like really Mm. big winged glasses to glare at them more effectively from. And probably like my hair would be in a bun at
1: all times. Mm,
0: Just to give you like a
1: librarian, like disciplinarian look. Yeah, I forgot to say what hat I would wear. And the answer is I don't wear hats because I'm already fairly top heavy with all the hair that I have on my head. (laughs) You're also very (laughs) tall. I'm also very tall, yes. I'm not really a hat person.
2: Well, I think I would add more Muggle Studies mm-hmm. to the curriculum. And instead of it being, here is how they have funny gadget, what is a refrigerator, I would make it actually useful Muggle Studies, which concentrates on how can we incorporate interesting Muggle engineering with magical innovation, and how do we actually coexist usefully in a world with Muggles?
0: Yeah, would you also teach them about medium-sized zucchinis for the discerning witch?
2: I feel like sex ed should actually be on the Hogwarts That's curriculum and I'll put that as my secondary thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh but yes, I would teach much more advanced and interesting and applicable muggle studies and I would wear a felt cloche.
1: Ooh. I want to know why muggle things stop working within Hogwarts because it's all based on mechanics. Right? Because it's like, harshing your vibe. Oh, because it's harshing the vibe, I see, basically. <laughs> thank you for that very scientific answer. Listen, thank you for that. Is that any less logical than anything else about the Harry Potter world? It sounds what? like a very canonical answer. Because <laughs> <honestly. laughs> <laughs> computers just work because of blips of electricity, right? So does electricity stop working on Hogwarts? Like, yes. Is all lightning banned from Hogwarts? Yes. Maybe they have an anti storm war that they put in in the 1300s, and that's
0: why nothing works, and they forgot.
1: Oh, love that, actually. Love that. (laughs) Anyway,
0: shall we do the next question?
1: Yes. Yes. So, question
0: from Hester Rook is what cocktails go best with which tropes? Thank you, Hester, for this (laughs) question, tailored specifically for me. From an Australian (laughs) to the Australian.
1: Be- before the episode we spent a solid five minutes where macy and i were like freya we don't know cocktails please tell us cocktails that's the mood
2: <laughs> okay so that's true all of the answers to this all question right. were semi provided by me but mm. i am going with enemies to lovers of one of my favorite tropes mm. is a margarita made with chili infused tequila which i have had which is delicious Sounds because at first sip you're like whoa oh my god i'm not sure if i like that and then somehow you keep drinking and you finish it and it's delicious. That's very mm-hmm.
0: appropriate. Yeah.
2: And Hurt Comfort is a penicillin. If you haven't had a penicillin, the penicillin is scotch, lemon, honey, and fresh ginger mm. built over a very large ice cube. Mm.
0: That does sound
1: good actually. I mean, it's no. really Confused good if you have a good. cold. Yeah, but I bet. Yeah. That would heal you. Yep. Um, for me, I am going to do only one bed, which is a surprise to absolutely zero people yep. in the known universe. Uh, and the cocktail that I have paired with it is one of my favorite cocktails. It's a Ramos Gin Fizz. And I have chosen this because it is pillowy. Uh, <laughs> a, properly, a properly made Ramos Gin Fizz has like an inch and a half of thick foam standing over the, the rim of the glass. Um, and it's a complete revelation. It will change your life. <laughs> Uh, My favorite version of the Ramos Gin Fizz is made by my favorite bartender, Jan, who used to work at my favorite bar in Boston, which is called Drink. (laughs) You go to Drink and there's no menus. You just sit down in front of the bartender and he looks deeply into your eyes. Deeply, deeply into your eyes and you tell him about certain flavors that you like or certain um liquors that you're in the mood for or about a dream you once had and he <laughs> nods solemnly and he says i can do that for you and then he disappears for five minutes and comes back with the drink and puts it in front of you and doesn't tell you the name of it because you don't need to know about such pedestrian <laughs> things as the names of drinks you just drink it you just drink what he gives you and it's perfect
2: Anyway. I've been to Boston twice in my life and I've been to drink both times. It's a good taken, bar. Taken separately by different people.
1: Yes, yes. One of them was me. So I spent New Year's on Orcas
0: Island like detaching from the world this year because the world sure was a thing. Uh, yeah. And there was this little bar there that was a shed. Like I'm not exaggerating. It, it just was a shed. Um, mm-hmm. And it had spirits from floor to ceiling and one single bartender And four customers. And we spent most of the time laughing about, like, queer women shit. And she was just inventing cocktails for us the whole time. Like, do you like this? Do you want to smell this? And then we scared off a policeman by talking about cunnilingus. Um, (laughs) lingus. I love this power. And he was, like, very clearly trying to be a cool kid and, like, hang out with us. And then we started, like, talking about pubes and he left. (laughs) Anyway, um, TMI, um... Macy claims that the Canadian shack trope goes best with a hot toddy uh, Mm. because it does and fight me. No, no, that's correct. However, one of my favorite tropes is, as we all know, the fake marriage, which we decided after several iterations is probably a peach bellini because champagne, but also unexpected
1: sweetness. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Very good. Enjoy those, dear listeners. Uh, Cassandra asked uh, Cassandra sent us many many questions thank you so much Cassandra I just want to acknowledge your amazing contributions Uh, we have taken one of your questions and we have cut it way way down Uh, so just generally how are you all coping as authors (laughs) Uh,
2: Uh, um, so like apologies to the scribes for all the noises (laughs) you may have to transcribe uh, Transcribe. in answers to this question they did
0: the monster mash it was a smash no um How have I actually been coping? Um, I set a target in March to do 30 minutes of revisions a day, um, six out of seven days a week. And I hit that target. And I think that that's kind of a healthy way to approach things right now is give yourself a small goal with some forgiveness built in Mm -hmm. and celebrate the fact that you're still engaged. Right? Right. So yeah. I'm not making fast progress, but I'm sort of slowly doing little pieces. Freya is helping. <laughs> and you know, it's getting done, kind of yeah. eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
2: I think that's a very good way of looking at it, that if you can remain engaged mm-hmm. with creativity, with the business slash hobby mm-hmm. of being an author to whatever extent is possible at this time, then that's great. I will say
0: I've I- done better as a poet than as an author. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. like written three poems and sold a poem to Uncanny uh, since Ooh. we last recorded, so like that's weird. So just kind of like let your creativity be a little bit different from usual too?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. mine has been a little different. I, mean, I think I'm lucky in that the thing that I am currently working on is a contemporary romance mm-hmm. novel, mm-hmm. so I don't have to engage quite the same parts of my brain as okay. I do when I'm writing fantasy. and. Even though I, like ninety percent of my brain now wants to just write sex scenes all the time, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, <laughs> how? Awful. Oh no, like usually it's more like sixty percent, right. but something about the current state of the world has just thrown it way up into the cat. high, cat. high, high.
0: Alex has oh, a, cat. It's a cat. Important cat. quarantine news: the Zoom has a cat on it. Hello, cat. Hello, cats. The cat has visited. The cat does not get to join the sex scenes. <laughs>
2: well, um, uh, yes, so I am coping by usually getting a little bit of work done on that romance novel every day, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying not to be too tough on myself if it's not, you know, any particular word count. And yeah, I think having more time at home means I am simultaneously able to sit down and write more, have more expectation that I will be productive Mm -hmm. because I have the time. Mm But so far, I think I'm doing an okay job at forgiving myself for not being productive, given that the world is in its current state.
1: Yeah, yeah. I agree with both of you. Um, my system is one that for New Year's, I sat down and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a redux of a um, New Year's resolution that I did a couple years ago, which is that I'm going to resolve to end the year with a 1,000 word per day average. Mm-hmm. This is great because of that forgiveness built in thing that right. that Macy mentioned. Um, one of the things that I've changed this year as opposed to a couple of years ago is that I'm forgiving myself for sick days. Um, I was also pre-pandemic when I was still uh, had my day job uh, from which I have gotten laid off. Um, I was giving myself one free day per week and any words that I wrote on that day were going to be bonus words. Mm-hmm. And usually that was a uh, Saturday, but like it was just going to be like the lowest word day i would forgive myself for that day i wouldn't count it and that i think in the current situation is really good as well because it means that i'm not looking at how i'm doing day to day it's about the long haul it's about how am i doing as a pattern mm-hmm. let's look at the the whole big picture situation and again forgive myself for not being able to write one day or doing fewer than a thousand words per day mm-hmm. because i've done like at the, the first quarter of the year, I was doing way more than a thousand words per day. So I have a big um, sort of backpile built in. So I have some some space to, to have quite a few off days recently, which I have had. Um, and also, as Freya mentioned, I'm just focusing on different things right now. My brain just does not want to, to focus on original work. So I'm writing a whole lot of fan fiction recently and I'm just not pushing myself to do creative work that is uncomfortable or that is making my brain sad because my brain is doing the best that it can right now and it deserves rewards and treats so yeah that's where i'm at
2: so our final final question for this extravaganza uh also sent us several questions for us to choose from thank you very much thank you and we have chosen this one so, how much detail would you give if describing a game being played hmm. by the characters, or maybe it's just important to the plot, in a story, especially if it's a fictional world with a game that doesn't have a direct, current, well-known analogy in our world?
0: I want to talk about Freya's amazing fucking around on boats game. Okay.
1: <laughs> Which was great. Do you remember the one I mean, Alex. Uh, I've had a cocktail and a half at this point so
0: no <laughs> what the fuck
1: are you talking about and
0: Alex's cocktails are like three cocktails in one
1: do you want to see this one it actually turned out quite oh nice Ooh, this is the that one... one's
2: pretty that's the pims, right uh,
1: it's the pims and the hard cider uh, which is a woodchuck uh, granny smith uh, hard cider and uh, a bit of the stroopwafel liqueur it doesn't taste exactly like how I was hoping it would taste but it's quite good it's a little bit dry but about Freya's game yes. sorry um... yes <laughs> So Freya has
0: um, around, a little bit earlier than the midpoint of the book I think, Yeah, a sort of country manor, running around a maze type game, outdoors game, in which a bunch of people get in boats and have to do magic and the game is described in broad but understandable terms enough that you get what it's doing. Because the characters are interacting physically with the game, it's causing them to move. I think that if you were inventing something like fake fantasy chess, it would be a lot less engaging for the reader to understand the rules as compared to if it's a
1: game where they are, the rules are physically affecting the characters. Yeah. Um, in this, as in most of my techniques for world building, uh, capital letters there, uh, techniques for world building, um, uh-huh. I am going to say negative space is king. Uh, the more that you can sort of imply, or that you can do kind of an impressionistic thing with broad strokes, the better. Make your readers do the work, because then they won't notice that they're doing the work. Um, that's something. yeah. So like, if I'm inventing some kind of fantasy chess that definitely isn't chess, what I might do <laughs> is explain one key concept of it, like how to capture a fantasy pawn, right? and i would only really do this if i'm going to be able to use it as a metaphor elsewhere in the book because like if it's just a one off game that they're playing like like they're playing this for fun'sies you can just tell the reader what it's called and let them come to their their own conclusions about whether it's a board game or uh, a card game and just like let their brain do the rest of the work
0: i think that that's kind of the the key yeah. point is what purpose is this game serving And it's entirely possible, like with Freya's, that you have come up with something really interesting and engaging and the game kind of is a large part of Mm the point and you just like it. Is it part of your my bucket of cool shit that I wanted in my book?
2: Yes, and I wanted to have that particular game as this is an interesting Mm -hmm. set piece that came into my mind and I thought this would be a fun set piece to do. And then once I'd written it... I had to go back in subsequent drafts (laughs) and remove some of the detail that was irrelevant because I I was writing, I was inventing it as I wrote it. And so for Mm. me, part Mm -hmm. of the process of writing the first draft is inventing a whole lot of things. And sometimes they are just random games, random throwaway things. And then I go back in revisions and go, okay, well, that was something that I invented. It wasn't actually useful either thematically or metaphorically. Or necessary to the scene, and then I just delete it. So with the, the boating <laughs> game, I it did serve certain purposes in that it was doing something to advance character. It was mm-hmm. doing something to right. highlight danger. Um, there is actually sort of a couple of plot elements to it. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that wasn't useful, I then had to remove.
0: Editing uh, is magic.
2: Editing yeah. is magic. Um, so I would absolutely agree with what Alex said. is If it's not something that you can use a single detail for to create a good echo or an elegant metaphor later yes. in your book, and if the scene or the game itself is not central to the plot, which for some things there are. There are entire books that are built around fictional <laughs> games, then I would say use light touches leave a lot of negative space and tell yourself why am i including that is it just because i think it's something that's cool which is valid yeah which is which is valid Mm -hmm. but if it's something that you're just you think it's cool and you're giving the characters something to do then make it as minimal as possible and let your let your audience fill in the rest
1: Yeah. yeah yeah but if on the other hand like it could be part of a character's character work that they're just like a huge nerd for this game, and in that case, because it's something that they're passionate about, you are providing details about the game which reflect the, the, who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. And so it's doing two things. As long as it's doing more than one thing, I yes, think you're fine. exactly that. Yeah. As long yeah. as it's doing multiple things.
2: Yeah. I would yeah. like and us to do an episode on sports and games. That we, should. That oh, we, we should. Be a would be episode. We could do,
1: we could do mm-hmm. um, Unseen Academicals. <laughs>
0: And your football boys, Alex. If you like the show oh, later, oh yes, the football boys. But yes, that's a good
1: idea. I think for now we are running kind of low on time. We are, yes. yes. Dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again thank you. so much for your support, uh, for nominating us for the the Hugo Award. We are so thrilled about this. Yeah. We hope that you are doing okay, um, and taking care of yourselves in this hectic, scary time.
0: joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. You know, I'm not sure any of you should be surprised that I eventually ended up working chaos theory and fluid dynamics into my theory of fandom, but I stand by Ian Stewart's Does God Play Dice as a solid intro to the topic. If you've reached the part of your quarantine journey where you're willing to come and learn advanced mathematics with me, it's fun there are fractals. Everybody loves fractals, right? But we have a few slightly more cromulent topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on May 20th, we'll be discussing the past. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is the watchmaker of Filigree Street. So, if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us questions, comments, breathless adulations, contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at SerpentCast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, I think you made a great choice of your quarantine obsession. That obscure musical instrument you just picked up is definitely going to sound great at the next party you go to. Keep it up!